the Pinball Network is online. Launching Final Round Pinball Podcast. Player versus player and player versus machine. Welcome to the final round. Where do you go from episode 69? Do we have any left in the tank? You bet we do. It's number 70, baby. Space hunt. Space. Space hunt. They were so close, just one letter, and we would have been like endorsing the shit out of this. <laughs> Complete space hunt. So, yeah. I saw the promo video. All right, let's yep. go right there right now. So, Hexa Pinball okay. has a new pinball machine. If you like pink, <laughs> the band or the color? The, per- the artist or the color? The color. Okay. You were in for a great game. Space hunt. And if you like some rock and roll themes, my goodness. The uh, music was interesting. Hey, listen, I'm not knocking on it. I just, for the first time, like minutes ago, saw the promo piece. And if you close your eyes and you squinted so you didn't see a theme, did you not think, that's a Stern promo video? You know what? It, this is my, my initial impressions of this whole game are, obviously, it's pink. And B, that, that theme song is absolutely ridiculous. I love it. But I, can't, I looked at it, I looked at the, the production values of the video and the look of the game as well. And I thought, yeah, that's a good way to launch a new company with a new game. Yeah. I mean, you're used to that kind of promo piece where you get a quick look at the machine and then an overhead view. You've got a person plunging. You see the ball in action. It's kind of what Stern's been doing for several years with their promo pieces. So... Again, it's not Stern. It's Hexa Pinball. Is this a f- company from France? I think so, yeah. Got a lot of French in it. So if they're not, we apologize. Probably should do some research into it. But you don't get that on Final Round. You get what no. you get. <laughs> we kind of like, I don't know, we, we, we check ourselves. Like as soon as we've got too much research, we're like, come on, just fucking record. Stop exactly. this research bullshit. Like if, you, if people saw the notes we have before a show. Oh. The note. If you took a small post-it note, you could fill that up for the next four shows because we're not using a lot of space here. So we just go with the flow. So Space Hunt. You know what? I like seeing other companies kind of get into it. I I wish them the best. People obviously are going to be cautious. Okay, let me play the game first of all because it's not a licensed theme. Uh, Does it shoot well? We'll have to see. I'm looking forward to seeing it and shooting it. Yeah, it does look like it, it shoots well. The only thing I would say is probably just tone down the pink a bit. But you know how, and I think that um, Galactic Tank Force has, uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I I know when I did my report on TPF, I said I was pretty cool on it. I didn't really enjoy the way it's shot, but I didn't really want to shit on it. But it, it has actually come under a bit of criticism. And really, it has been around the theme. And Oh, it's just an interesting topic because it comes back to this, everybody, well, not everybody, because, you know, it's not like I've spoken to everybody on the internet, but a lot of people say they want original themes. And then it's always, yeah, I want original theme, but not that. Yeah. 
what I think is if the, you look at the original themes that have come out and you, you just pick the ones that I've not mentioned, but Dialed In was, was one of the big new original IPs. You had TNA was new. Now you've got Galactic Tank Force. You've got this. What other new IPs have you got? Well, Celts obviously is there. Final Resistance is there. So it's... Heist. Heist, yeah. I'm trying to work out what makes a an original license or an original theme work well versus those that don't. And I think it sort of comes down to how far into it you lean. So, for example, Dialed In lent really into the whole mobile phone stuff and the disaster stuff. And I think that was potentially a bit polarizing. Galactic Tank Force really leans into the camp of it. And I think that has put some people off. The reason why I said that, because Space Hunter, I look at Space Hunter, I go, do you know what? It's not offensive. It's just, it's an original theme. It works. It's not offensive because I don't think it's trying to force any particular angle down. It's just a good theme. Fine. Theme matters to people that are fans. You've got a a fan base already developed. You don't have to explain the IP. You've got people like me. I don't care what it looks like. Just give it to me when Led Zeppelin came out, right? So you really have to win them over when you have something original. What IPs and and licenses matter? Definitely. If you're an operator, are you going to put out any game with a license that you recognize versus Space Hunt or Galactic Tank Force? You're probably going to take tried and true. You're going to take Star Wars. You're going to take Mandalorian. You're going to take Ghostbusters. You're going to take things people already recognize. It's pretty easy to go down that route if you're an operator. I'm not an operator. I care about how the game plays, how the game shoots. Is it fun? Is it deep enough? Is it too deep? Is it? Uh, does it explain itself well? Is it intuitive? Those are things that matter. The shots, are they fun? Can code be fixed? Are the callouts fun? Those things matter because I'm not an operator, but I would say the majority of people aren't operators. So they're the loudest, I find, the people who are operators, and they keep pinball alive. They show these machines to the masses that the majority don't own machines. So if it weren't for the operators, how are we going to get pinball out there? So God bless the operators. And it's easier for them to make the purchase on an IP that they recognize versus, you know, the, the list you just gave. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And the, the additional to that is that I guess the benchmark in sales really is Stern, as we know. They, we assume they still sell the most compared to everybody else and they have licensed theme upon licensed theme. So that becomes the benchmark. But well, take Haggis, for example, only wanted to sell 200 Celts sold out 250 Mermaid editions of Fathom and likely the, the future as well. So if you look at that and you go, and most people go, oh, that's an original theme. You only sold 250 of them. It's a fail. Is it a fail? Because you don't know how many units a company wants to sell for them to be considered successful. So Galactic Tank Force, prime example, a, a relatively mature company in American pinball. How many of those games did they want to sell? How many do we know? It may be 200, maybe 2,000 maybe 20,000. But those measures of success are for the business themselves, not for the consumer looking at these machines. Well, before Haggis, before American Pinball, the one company that was doing this that was selling smaller amounts was Spooky. And yep. they would sell out what their allotment was. They It would take 
however long it took to make the games, but they would sell them out and they've been able to keep coming back with more and even licensed products. That's their business model. You don't have to sell thousands and thousands if your business model is that way. So they're obviously making money and I would assume the same for American, same for Haggis and hopefully for Hexa Pinball too. So you don't know how it works. Uh, It's obviously tough for a startup company. That's got a lot of money going out and not a lot coming in, but um, it probably gets easier as more games come on the line. Who knows? Uh, Wish them the best of luck. Yeah, for sure. But again, as far as new game, new company, I think they did a really good job of revealing themselves and their game. So well done. So that's the latest release. I mean, the last time we had a release, there were seven of them. Yeah. In true Pinside fashion. Oh, that's great. Space Hunt. What's next? That is tough to figure out what's going to be next. The rumblings I've heard, and don't know this to be true, I wouldn't put this out there if I I knew. You'd have to think Stern's probably got another one in their back pocket. I would think Jersey Jack does too. You've been hearing the rumblings of Steve Ritchie, hopefully for the fall. Who knows who else? uh, You're getting close to your Fathom run being done. When is Haggis going to give us a new one? Give us the date right now, Marty. Here we go. (laughs) I cannot say, but, you know, it may be by the time this podcast airs, it may be announced or it may be next year. You know, it's somewhere in between those times. But, yeah, so I'm going to quickly change subjects away from me (laughs) and say, well, obviously I've seen that Jaws is going to be out from Stern at some stage. I know that the rumour was Steve Ritchie doing Matrix. I never heard that. Yeah, that's... When you say the rumours, is this Pinside? Is this Snap Arcade? Is, what is this? It's one of those. It's not from somebody telling me directly, because if so, as you know, and this is for you listeners, if I hear from a manufacturer what they're actually manufacturing, I am never going to mention it. So... Ditto. I'm only ever going to mention rumours if I've seen that somebody publicly has mentioned the rumour. Yeah. No, of course. There are. uh, Because I do. I have inside information because you've got to know that – well, actually, we do know this anyway. This is is relatively public knowledge. But licences don't just deal with one pinball company. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We've seen that. Previously with Godzilla, obviously Toho got snapped by Stern. Mm -hmm. But what I know that there are times when uh, pinball companies have approached a license holder and then that license holder has gone to the other pinball company to see what they can do. So the reason why I'm saying that is, first of all, people, just so you know, these companies and these bands, these TV shows, these movies, whatever, they don't just hedge their bets with one pinball manufacturer. They try to shop themselves around. And I'm privy to some of that is all I'm saying. Oh, okay. You know, we haven't even talked since the last episode. We recorded and then maybe a week or two after we recorded, Joe Kamenkow went, uh, hey, everybody, Harry <laughs> Potter's coming out. It's Jersey yeah. Jack, which we, we didn't talk about. Now, lots of 
people have said what they thought about Joe doing that. Is it sour grapes? Maybe. Um, it's something he obviously wanted to get. You know, is he disgruntled that uh, maybe there have been some changes with Gary Stern and, and that company? Who knows? I don't. But those rumblings are out there. Is he bummed that maybe he didn't get it? All that aside, Jersey Jack doing it, which when I look at all the things that Jersey Jack puts in a pinball machine, I'm not a Harry Potter fan. Sorry, I know it's a shock. I would say if I was, I think I'd want Jersey Jack to do it. Oh, for sure. Oh, am I right? Okay. Oh, I've no for for years and years and years. I have said if somebody's going to do it, I want Jersey Jack to do it. Can you imagine the pro model of that with Stern? Yeah, like, stripped down, it would be no fun. Whereas Jersey Jack's going to throw everything in it. That's exactly right. But I also think not not just that. I also think the art style that Jersey Jack tends to go with is a bit more fantasy rather than a lot of the, the cartoon and line drawn work that Stern goes with. That makes sense. Is there a price that's too high for you to get into the Harry Potter game? Because I know this is a license you've wanted. You want this game. It's everything to you. How many wands do you have to sell to buy this machine, Marty? Realistically, a dollar puts me out because I just am not in the position to buy a new machine. Oh. So I would, if it came out today, I would have to pass. Whoa. Yeah, just, just not, not ready to get back in. It's funny you should say that because I like my little collection here. And I was asked, I think Anne might have asked me, are you getting any more machines? And I'm like, honestly, there's, there's games I love, but uh, I really like what I, something would have to go for space. And I like every game I've gotten here. So probably not. Mm. That brings me up to the question. When's a good time to sell a game? Because there are lots of factors. I know we're jumping all over the place here. Listen, oh. it's a slow news day. Just stick with us, all right? Yeah, go with it. But these things these things are related. We're shooting the shit. So. Right. Because right now I've got one, mach- you got I've got one? machine, right? I've only got Wizard of Oz left in my collection. Okay. Right? So if I was going to... So it's, it's a really good question. Because if I was going to buy Harry Potter, if it was announced... So if it was announced today, I would have to sell that game and then get the balance and, and go for it. But I would only do that at the last minute. But if we, if they said, if we now know, let's say it's 12 months away, the question then is, when? When would you sell it? And there are so many variables that come into it because right now that's an older game, 2013, am I right? 2012? Somewhere around there, yeah. God, Wow so old we are so it depends let's say you just received a Foo Fighters which is a game I'd love to have I love that game I just I went over to James and Jackie's and played their limited edition Foo Fighters and it's still it's still as good as I remembered it the the downside was that because it was somebody else's they're like let's keep playing I'm like no I don't want to keep playing because I don't want to play it so much that I love it that I regret not having it. But it really is a fantastic game. So when would be the best time to sell a Foo Fighters? Or any game. So, I mean, the factors are... But it's so different. You can't lump them all together because a brand new Foo Fighters has a different sales cycle than a game that's 20 20 years old. All right, good point. So Foo Fighters, right now, if you were to sell it, and we're not including LEs, if you had a pro, if you had a premium, 
you can still buy a pro on a premium. So are you taking it at a loss? Are you selling to somebody who I have to have it right, right now? Maybe you got it for a deal. Maybe it was a stern rewards thing and you got it on the cheap. Who knows? Maybe it fell off the back of a truck. I don't know how you got your game, but the flipping of games that aren't LEs. Okay. If the game's still for sale, you're probably not going to get that price for it. You're probably going to lose a little money. So it's probably not a wise time to sell a pro or a premium right now. Well, again, it depends on how quickly companies are delivering games because, I mean, what what is it? People are still waiting on, well, a lot of games that were announced years ago, um, people are still waiting on. So if you can get that game right now, some people might pay an extra $500 for it or an extra $1,000 for a low-playing game. So I bought a new in-box Avengers game, which I, I like the game, but I wanted Godzilla and it wasn't available yet. So I was told it'd be about nine months. So I thought, you know what? I'll just buy Avengers. When Godzilla's ready, I'll sell my Avengers. I'll get nine months in kind of thing. I didn't lose money on the thing, but you could still buy an Avengers new in box. The thing that helped me, I think a little bit was remember January 1st, all those prices went up. So I was able to sell for what I wanted to sell it for. And I sold it before January 1st. Had I sold it after January 1st, I probably could have got more money for it. But I sold it to a friend. I said, now's the time to buy it. Trust me, because it goes up January 1, including, you know, whenever those prices increase by any company, if you've got a machine at home, your machine just went up in price. Probably the same same parallel amount, I would guess. Hmm. No? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. So... But the question is, when, when is the right time? And yeah, I mean, the answer really is you've got to just be watching the market. You've got to see what people are putting games up for and what they're actually going for and whether those prices are going up or going down. Hmm. Your Wizard of Oz, now 10 plus years, right? Mm-hmm. That's a game that's only gone up in value. Now, I remember when you years ago bought Kind of sight unseen. You had to have the limited edition. Sorry to bring this up. It was Monsters. No, I knew you were going to bring it up. Well, no, 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 because it, you were a fan. It's a I, tragic tale. Nah, it's not tragic. It is. I lost $3,000 on it. It's tragic. Hmm. Had you kept it longer, you would not have lost uh, 3000 right? For sure. Absolutely. So that's, I guess, what we're saying. Yeah. Whatever your collection is now, you could sell it for X. It only goes up as you wait. And... I know I joke about saying the bubble is going to burst soon. Yeah, it probably is going to flatten out a little bit, but I still think you holding on to that Wizard of Oz, you know, it's it, it only goes up in price the longer you hold on to it. Oh, without a doubt. It got ridiculous kind of during COVID when there was nothing to buy. Remember, we didn't have, yeah. no distributor had anything. Well, distributors everywhere have lots of games, not tons, maybe not the ones you want, but there are options. So that brings down the the price, I think, a little bit in the meantime. But once those games are out of production, you're looking good. Yeah, it, classic supply and demand. Over COVID, Ian. demand went up because people all of a sudden found they had money and a lot of people came into the hobby at that time because they had nothing to do. So that's an increase in demand, which if supply was the same, would have increased prices. But you've got demand going up, supply going down. That's why you've got those two factors pushing prices up. 
What I'm saying is, if you are holding onto a machine right now and you are thinking to yourself, I would love to sell this for $2,000 more than what it's going for, then I would recommend investing in a laboratory somewhere, get some dead animals and somehow come up with a new coronavirus, infect the world, wait a couple of years, wow. put, your, put your pinball machine up on Craigslist, boom, there you go. May have caused millions of deaths, but you got $2,000 extra on your machine. I think worth it. What's one more wet market in the world, right? Correct. Exactly right. <laughs> you love death. You just are obsessed about... <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Fuck, I didn't even... I, you know what? I, I'm not foreshadowing. I have no who would you kill. I mean, I don't right now. We're only 22 minutes into the show. I could always add one later when, if you spark my interest. But <laughs> right now, there's nothing. Okay, so good time to sell. When's a good time to sell? Well, the older games, you know, here's the thing. If I were to sell a game right now, I have, let me see, I got Valhalla, Simpsons, Zeppelin, Rush, ACDC, Godzilla, Ali, Joker Poker, and Fishtails. Hmm. If I had to sell one, I mean, you could sell Godzilla and get another one. I don't want to sell Rush because I like it. Uh, Zeppelin LE, I could always sell it and get a pro, I guess. Simpsons isn't ever leaving, period. Legends of Valhalla, I'm too vain to sell that. It's... You know, I may never get to voice another one of these things. So that was fun. Yep. ACDC, first new in box I've got. Fuck. Who knows what I paid, but what they go for now, I'd almost be getting double. Yeah, easy. But I don't want to sell it. It's it's Lyman mm. Code. It's I've modded it up with a few things. Joker Poker, my wife likes, she likes EMs. Not that it's an EM, it's a solid state, but it, she likes the chimes and stuff. Okay, fine. And it's, it's good. Ollie, I got from Papa. It's the mm-hmm. it's the Pimberg one, so there's sentimental value on it. Yep, I've played that one. That brings me to Fishtails, which I which would love. be the one. That I, nah, as soon as you said, I would go Fishtails to sell get rid of it. Yep, God, it's fun because you can play so many different ways. And <sighs> exactly. here's the thing: everything else that's new and modern, you can replace. Those old ones are hard to come by. I play it all the time. It's fun. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh God. Well, that was going to be the question, like. Of all those games, take Joker Poker out because obviously that's got certain amount of value for Anne. But <laughs> I say this because, hi, Eric. You know Eric, right? Oz Eric. Yeah. And he has a lot of machines. And he f- he's better at it now but found it very, very difficult to let go of games. And I think he's got, you know, 50 games in his collection. And it was always the, it was the Marie Kondo, you know, what game doesn't bring you joy anymore? And, and that's kind of the question I'm having with you is – of all those games, they're all, it's a small collection comparatively. Yeah. So you've got a small amount of machines so you can have a connection with all of them is what I'm saying. So that makes it harder, but I'm still going to ask the question, which one do you play the least? Well, I've got one in storage I haven't even had here. Thanks, Zach. Many, Zach Many picked it up for me and I, I kind of forgot about it until just recently. It's a really cheap ballet game of the 80s, but I love it for the theme okay. and I love it for... It's actually a good tournament game because it screws you up, but it's really bare bones. It's called Grand Slam. Yep. Okay. They, they didn't make many of them. It's a two-player game, but I love baseball. It's all that stuff. Anyway, so I've got that too. The one I play the least, you know, I remember when Ed Robertson was on. He's talked to me, whether it's here or Pinball Profile, just he's not sentimental to games, and that's my problem. The one I play the least is Ali. And mm. first of all, I love 
the man Muhammad Ali. I'm obsessed. I, I've got books and books on him. I saw him live. Um, I collect some Muhammad Ali's. It, I just, I've been to the, the Muhammad Ali Museum in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm a big fan of Ali. So that should never leave. But I don't play it that often. I can't do it. I can't get, that should be the one, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Okay. So fit, that brings me to the fishtails, but I'm like, geez, that's my favorite era of pinball machines. It wasn't a licensed theme, but it was just funny. I love the call. It's one of my favorite video modes. Uh, I like the speed of the game with the, the, the boat. If you really want to blow it up, you go multi-ball, you go captive ball. It's, it's so much fun. And, oh, damn, but I, I got to get rid of it, I think, some, someday, somehow. And uh, it'll break my heart because I don't want all new games. I want a mix. But going back to your, the, the big question that we're trying to answer is when do you sell a game? It was like my Star Trek. I would, you know how much I love my Star mm-hmm. Trek. It was never, never going to let it go. But when I messaged Ryan and I went, what do you reckon I could get for this? And he told me the dollars. It was sold within a week because, and, that, and I guess that's the point. If you were to look at how much your fishtails could go for and it was more, way more than you thought it would, you'd have to let it go, wouldn't you? Ali would probably be the same. It, it, there's a price for everything, you know? Yeah. I already know what I could get for the fishtails, and it's a good number, but uh, I just can't do it. I can't do it. No, well, that's right. If I need the money, for sure I would. Yeah, okay. And that, do you know what? It's a nice thing to actually have machines sitting there because you know if tragedy ever struck, mm. you'd sell your games and you'd get yourself out of trouble. Well, I'd sell my body first, but then the, then the games. No. You gotta, you gotta make money. Fine. We've seen your body, mate. <sighs> Fuck yeah, me. you'd have to pay. You'd have to pay people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I should invest in toppers then, because that's where the money's being. Made. Oh, what an amazing segue that is! Well done. <laughs> I still can't get over the top. Like I saw the Godzilla one, and well, there's two of them. What? There's two of them. So Stern released their official. Godzilla Topper, but the Electric Playground that did the Twilight Zone Topper, they also announced theirs, I think, maybe the day or two days before. Which one's better? Oh, oh, I would say the Electric Playground. Really? Yep. Hmm. I guess, you know, I see people with the LEs and stuff, and if you've got one, yeah, you know, I got to get another one. It's kind of like pin stadiums, you know what I mean? Or Invisiglass. Those kind of collectors like to to mod them up and the toppers. And it certainly increases your game, not for playing, but definitely for the value of the game because they only go up and up and up. And I've yet to ever buy a topper. I can't see me ever doing it, ever. I guess if I wanted to do it to flip it, that would make sense. But I just, nah. No, I'm, I'm the same as you. I don't, I've never bought a topper separately. I do like a game when it comes with a topper, I think that is fine. That's that's good. That's how it should be. Even my fishtails. I've unplugged the fish because it knocks so loud. Yeah. My Valhalla yeah. came with one, but it, it, it's quiet. It doesn't do anything. The Rush topper is gorgeous. The Zeppelin one's kind of funky and cool. I love the Black Knight one. But I don't have a Black Knight game, but that thing was really cool. I told Dwight, I said, that Mandalorian topper is spectacular. And yeah. uh, maybe one of the best two ever. But still, I'll just, eh. even though they add modes for these things, just doesn't do it for me. And, you know, I just went to a pretty big tournament in Germany. I was at the European 
Championship. I was at the IFPA Olympics. I was at the IFPA World Championships. We'll get to that in a second. I didn't see one game with a topper, one game with a mode on it. And that's the best of the best. So it's really more for the collectors, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not really going to be... The prime example, as you said, it's a it's a tournament. They turn that stuff off. They don't care about toppers. And when you're transporting a game from any location to that particular, you're going to take your topper off, aren't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, especially if it's one of these $2,000, $3,000 toppers. But that being said, at big shows, you know, Expo, TPF, I'm sure, Tazpin or Brisbane Masters or some of these big, big shows, you see the toppers on display and they're cool. Like I really enjoyed seeing what they had to do, but um, yeah, just did, not for me, not for me for buying, but. No, you've always said that you don't care about toppers and you know, uh, our friend, my friend James, he has got Attack from Mars remake. It came with a topper. And it's great. He hasn't even unboxed the topper. It's still in the box. <laughs> you know what I mean? You should sell it. Some people just aren't into toppers. That's a good that. one though. That one's yeah. a real good one. They, I reckon that probably is, I think that's my favorite topper of all time. Think about playing pinball. Josh Sharp and I were talking about some games, and things he likes, things he doesn't like. And even with LCD screens and stuff, you should be looking down at the play field, at the flippers. What's there? Is it telling you what to do? Or going up to the LCD screen, it's got a lot of information you know, we were talking about Rush, and I said, I would find it a very difficult game to play if I didn't own it. And he said, yeah, you need to kind of have some more information on the play field. You have to look up the screen. The screen should be for scores and and animations, so to speak. But uh, you really need to look at that LCD screen. Well, that's lifting your head a little bit. A topper, if that's got something that's game mode worth, I can't lift my head that high. I've lost the ball by then. Yeah, I mean, you've got to ask yourself, what what's the purpose of the topper? Um and that, and that's where I think Mandalorian probably shoots itself in the foot because you actually get game information up on that holographic stuff, but I'm not going to look up there. You're right. I got to say, I played in a two-player, three-player fun game, and it was fun watching the topper as I'm standing away from the machine to get that yeah. information. So that was kind of cool. But yeah. that being said, even all the new games, and I used Russian example, but you can really use any game, most of them. I don't get a lot of information on the playfield. Unfortunately, I'm usually getting more watching somebody play the game and looking at the screen, which you can't do when you're playing. Right. A game right. like Pulp Fiction, which you love, and I still haven't played it. You don't ever have to lift your head. You can't lift your head. There's nothing to see up top. So it's got to give you that information on the playfield, which it does. And again, they have to. They don't have an LCD screen. Yeah. And I think there was a real shift and I think probably Jersey Jack was the most guilty. And, and I'll give you the, the prime example is- Was? Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Everything was on the back. There was nothing labeled on the play field. And you read the, the joke, shoot the flashing light. Yeah. So I think LCD screens stopped people from putting instructions on the play field. One thing I, I know Keith Elwin has always said, he still wants you to look at the play field and know what to do just by looking at the playfield. So I think mm -hmm. he's got it right. But I think a lot of the manufacturers decided, well, you don't need that on the playfield because we can do that on the screen. I will defend it in one regard. And that is if you don't have it prescribed on the playfield, it allows you to evolve and change things over time. 
you know, for me, as you would know, I'm I'm currently working on a a remake and I'm doing a new rule set. I would love for there to be no text on a play field. But you've got those nice apron screens, so that helps you out a little bit. Sure. You're looking down the flippers, it's it's gonna catch your eye. You're gonna get that information. Sure, but I don't I don't have freedom is what I'm saying because it does restrict me. And that's the position I'm defending is that as a designer or rule code or whatever, if, if you don't have it on the play field, then it gives you the ability to to pivot and change and, and evolve. Well, I remember the first time I looked at the Avengers Infinity Quest playfield, and I looked at the grid, and it had 750k, and I was like, "Oh, it's actually got a number on there." I hope that's a good number because maybe it's insignificant, but as you know, with code and score balancing, you're locked in that 750. Is that a big number? Is it too small? Is it too yeah. big? Yeah, that one freaked me out. I was like, "Ooh, now you're locked in," like you say. Whereas if you don't put that information on there, you can adjust. So that is a great example. That was one that right away I was like, whoa, 750. Why is that on there? Yeah. That means that means as you try to start balancing the game, if all of a sudden you do this and you've got all these multipliers and a good score ends up being a billion, what's 750,000 points? Nothing. That's fuck all. That's right. So it does, it forms as a bit of an anchor. It means you've always got to juxtapose everything that you do against that one little insert. Yeah, I don't know what the bomb is on that, but you know how those inserts are, you know, they're printed on the plastic or whatever and backlit and all that kind of stuff. I wonder if having a screen where that could change as code changes, instead of it being, you know, plastics, it's actually a little screen and it gives you different information. That'd be kind of cool. Well, obviously it would, but it's done. Well, no, I, yeah, they, they have costs and whatnot, but... Uh, Stern wouldn't put a screen there if they no. can put inserts there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Oh, well. There you go. Can I just, just because you mentioned it, I just wanted to bring up that I did, I went to Hashban and Danger Ray's house recently mm-hmm. and got to play some games that I haven't played for a while. And that was where I got to play Mandalorian with the topper. That, that, that's experience. Um I got to play Led Zeppelin, and I think this one was either a premium or an LE. Did it have the center thing that comes up, Electric Magic? Yeah. Okay. Okay, first of all, I don't know what it is, but the premium just plays so much better than the pro. Just insanely so. And I was ready to think that that spinner thing was going to be dumb. It's not. It's really fucking good. It's actually a really cool effect. Okay. I still didn't love it rules-wise. I still don't like the layout. I think it's very, oh, I just think it's awkward. It's an awkward layout. doesn't feel natural. So, yeah, still a hard pass for me, but better. Two years. Two years, one month. That's how long mm. I've had my electric magic disabled. Yeah, okay. It's Friday night. It, I had people over here and... uh they're like, how do I get that to rise on my Zeppelin? And I'm like, it's not. It's disabled. I've turned it off. It gets in the way. I, so you rant and rave about the premium. It's got the electric magic. It's got the nice side ramp into the wire form shot as opposed to a dead stand-up. I still prefer the Pro. And I have the LE. I prefer the Pro. Yes, the upper ramp shot is 
uh, upper flipper shot is definitely more satisfying. It's also a lot harder too. And just the electric magic thing for the way the code works in that game, it detracts from the game. To really go deep on the game, it's all about combos and that kills your combo. You're going to go through that spinner and it's going to hit some sort of stand up to end your combo. Whereas if you can from a long distance away on a kind of a shitty layout of a play field, if you can combo those ramps, you got a big, big score coming. But that electric magic kills it. So I uh, give me the pro. I know it sounds weird. I, mean, I like the artwork of the premium and the, the LE. That's fine. And I hear what you're saying. My counter to that is that because I find it such an unsatisfying layout, I need to get joy somehow. And that spinner lighting up, just flashing, and I get joy out of it. Out of what is otherwise a lackluster game. So if it was the pro, that's why I didn't enjoy the pro. I got, I got nothing out of it. At least with this, I got a bit of flashing lights. Yay, flashing lights. It's got a great sound. It You can rip the living shit out of it yeah. from both flippers. It's got the magnet goes up and down pretty quick. Originally, yep. it went up and down really slow, so they had to fix that in code and zip it up, zip it down. And, and it had to be on a ramp for it to come back up because it would, you know, airball. Anyway, they've come a long way from it. Maybe one day I'll install it, but eh. mm. because you were so close to it, I don't know, it would bang up the spinner and the spinner wouldn't settle. It wouldn't be vertical. And so when it's horizontal, the ball would go right through it and it would always stay up. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Anyway, that yeah. was that. Okay, let's go back to Germany for a second here, shall we? Yes, please. I went there for 17 days. That's a long time. <laughs> Which... You said was possibly a bit too long? Oh, it definitely was. I, I loved the people there and, and got to see people I don't get to see quite often. And that experience was wonderful. It's just, I don't think I've ever had a trip longer than two weeks. So 17 days, that's a lot of fucking schnitzel. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> a lot of bratwurst. That's a lot of arena. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yep. it, it was good. I was just... Hey man, I'm old. I like my bed. I like I like my pillow. Anne was with me for the first week. Spent time with Derek Price and Steve Bowden uh, for the ten days of all the tournaments. So those guys were great too. Started off the European Pinball Championship and then the IFP Olympics. That was done at Bulls and Balls in Fulda. Mateus has a wonderful compound of all these cool pinball things. Then we moved over to Freddy's Pinball Paradise in Etchell, and uh, that was where the World Championship was. Here's the things I noticed, and probably the three things I noticed the most in my time in Germany. Holy shit, do they love playfield protectors. Oh, really? On almost every new game, they had playfield protectors. The machines were pristine. They were gorgeous. I can't say I've played with playfield protectors. I think there's a place for them. If you're a collector... And, you know, you're not playing these games a lot. You want them to look nice and you worry about things like divots and this and that. Great. Fill your boots. I don't know many tournaments that have it and every tournament in Germany seemed to have them. It's a real common thing there. So anything that was a new machine had a playfield protector. Even some of the solid state games. I remember playing probably Harlem, but definitely Skateball. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's one on there too. It felt different for us North American players. We were, okay, that ball, it seems weird, but it felt like it was kind of like Bambi on ice, you know, floating around a little bit and just not, we weren't really used to it as much. It took a long time to get used to. Have you ever played tournaments with playfield protectors? Not that I can recall. 
No, I have played games that have got playful protectors, but um, yeah, no. Okay. I'm not trying to crap on anyone, but this is a pet peeve. If your location is dark and the lighting isn't great, that can be difficult for many players, probably over the age of 35, maybe not so much for the younger people. It looks kind of cool. Pinball machine looks cool, especially with all those LED lights and the, wow, it's, it's really bright. It's just hard and painful on the eyes to see. And sometimes balls get lost. So lighting is very, very important. So <laughs> day one, I realized, oh, this could be a problem in this one section of this location, especially on newer games. Like getaway was pitch dark, shadow, pitch dark. You didn't see where the ball was kind of coming out. And I wasn't alone. So I went to a, a shop. Basically, they were bike headbands with LED lights. Yep. So I got one for me, for Steve Bowden, for Colin McAlpine. And we go to turn it on right away. And someone's like, oh, that's cheating. What? Well, it'll it'll distract other players. Even if you were playing against a machine against a wall and there was nobody behind the machine. Yeah, you can't play that. You can't use that. They didn't let you use them. That is fucking bullshit. If you're a TD and you don't allow that, kindly I say that reconsider again. that. And they had all the lights off? Lights weren't off, but it was very, very dark and just you couldn't see. You couldn't see. So yeah. I remember talking to Josh. He's like, well, you know what? Take your cell phone, put on your light and just put your cell phone on the glass. Okay. Like can't distract anyone else. Like it was that hard to see some of the games. So come on, TDs. Have some common sense there. Those headlamps? Yeah. There are people that wear them all the time. You know, um, I see Trent Augustine wear them, Andy Roses. Andy Rosa, yeah. But those guys, you know what? They don't turn it on until they step up the machine. And they're not turning their heads left and right. It's not distracting. So get used to it, folks. Those things are fine. And if you're going to play in a dark place and that's the way they have it, you should allow those headlamps, period. If it distracts somebody because you're, turning it on too early or you're turning your head, that's a different story. But when you're looking straight ahead, looking down the playfield, allow those headlamps. So do you, when you're playing your games at home, do you have the lights on or off? Always on. And I have them so that there's no glare. Glare is bad when it's near the flippers. Sometimes glare is on other parts, but um, yeah, just not near the flippers. I just don't know at what age when I got really old that I stopped being able to play pinball with the lights off. I now cannot stand it. And and it was why, I, my, okay, here we go. My preference is to have the house lights off, but I can't see the ball anymore. So what's the solution, Jeff? That's right, everybody. Pinstadium.com for all your lighting needs. It's exactly why I could have the lights off and still see the ball on the planet. Yeah, that's different. That's different because that light's important. But with the LEDs, they're so bright and blinding. I mean, pin shades definitely help. That's a Jockton's Thanks, product. Thanks, Jockton. Yeah. I know. He gave me a set at TPF. He's the best. Mm-hmm. So those definitely help. But yeah, I, I'd rather have some sort of lighting. Well, okay. I didn't have pin stadiums, but I had to play Getaway and I was like, Oh, no, I got to play like two really. I, I looked like it was going to be on it for back-to-back games. Paul Englart, great player from Germany. Top I don't know, 13, 14, 15 in the world at the time. And I got to play him on getaway. I'm like, I look at I look the play field. I'm like, I can't see a fucking thing. So I said to Jade Hill Pinball, I'm like, hey, can we stream this game? Because <laughs> they've, got, <laughs> they've got lights. Oh, they put lights on it. Ah, oh, fantastic. And they said, oh, it's not up to me. It's up to Escher. I'm like, great. Because Escher was in the booth. I'm like, Escher, can we stream the game? He's like... 
Um, yeah, it, we can try to, but we're doing these other ones. I'm like, great. I don't honestly care if you do stream them out. Just put on the gear, will you? And he's like, yeah, okay. So, yeah, cool. So I could see. So we all could see. Is that cheating? <laughs> no, it's fucking. No it's, no, it's not. Okay. It's it's a little bit of privilege. I do know that. Let me tell you what I of all the the stuff that happened when you were in Germany. Let me tell you what I didn't see. Go ahead. I didn't see you in finals. <laughs> yeah, no. And I happen. didn't see Australians in finals. I had a good chat with, in fact, by the time this episode airs, you will have heard Pinball Profile with Jason Lambert and Simon Peel, two great Aussies. Uh, I had a good chat with both those fellas. And so Lambo did good in one, I recall. I mean, there were so many different tournaments. I didn't play shitty. I didn't play great either. And I remember putting up a monster score and coming in third on the game. I'm like, I can't do any fucking better. Like, these guys are just lights out better. Yeah. So, yep. You know, it's it was the best of the best. Don't kid yourself. It, it It's tough. And that being said, think of how hard the games are. I remember coming back to Canada and playing in a tournament right after. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the easiest thing ever. Like, it just, it's like playing with a glass off. So, so you get used to that. No, I know. I, look, I know I haven't, I haven't caught up with them, so I haven't really got the details. Well, what I do know is that Jason Lambert, Lambo, we call him. Well, I can't remember the name of the game. Uh, I think it was like a solid state. And he had... Three house balls. Oh, I remember that too. And and that was it. He was out, and he was just like, "Sorry, I, I cannot do better than that." If if Dolly I Parton, my, I think maybe it might, might have been, but it was exactly that. It was like, "I'm I'm sorry, I'm out." Three house balls. Yeah, you, you can't do a lot with that. I mean, other people will say, "Okay, we'll plunge differently or short plunge, get a little oh, flipper." Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's luck. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. But um, two other things. I said there were three. There's four. Two other things about playing in Europe. At the World Championships, again, won by Johannes Ostermeyer, a former guest on yeah, final round. He uh, beat Marcus Vitterun, and I hope I didn't butcher your name, the young kid from Finland, wonderful kid, who just really went on a tear. This kid was dead, dead, dead after six rounds and then just went crazy and basically didn't lose again and knocked off so many great... Like, he knocked off Escher. He knocked off Zach McCarthy. He, he was on fire, just how good he was. Marcus Sticks. One thing from the World Championships, remember, this is run by the IFPA, so this is Josh Sharp, this is Zach Sharp, it's Adam Becker, it's Brian Woodward. They basically came to the conclusion, and I don't know if this will move forward, you know how a lot of tournament directors put in earplugs in the tilt bob, at the top of the tilt bob, to make it settle quicker? Yep. Thing of the past, my friend. Done. Because... People were getting away with murder. Tilting. No, with big moves and not tilting. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And even if somebody did tilt, the player was still, oh, there's a, hey, there's an earplug in there. They still waited. So what's the point? Yeah. Do you know what? I want to see, in a, in a tournament, I want to see a good tilt through. I want, I want somebody to be. <laughs> no, you <okay>. don't. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name names. Don't, don't, don't make me name names. I'm not, I'm not naming names. Kelly George. No, I'm in, in Australia. Just somebody that I used to play against. Hi, I know they listen. Love you. Would at the end of every ball just tilt the game. And so if I was after this person, I'd have to, to wait. Sure. Which is fine, but not every ball. Richard Broads. <laughs> it's not. I'm not naming names, but I can tell you it's not Richard Rhodes. But it's a lovely, lovely person. But Stacey just, Borg. <laughs> 
what, what's, what's his name again? Stacy Bog. <laughs> Stacy looks like a tilter. He looks like a tilter. Uh, no, no, he's not a tilter. No. Some would say no, he isn't. Okay. Uh, the other thing I learned, so no more earplugs. Don't expect yep. to see those. The last thing. So this year, and you're used to it in Australia, we're used to it in North America. We pay a dollar every time we play, and that goes to the mm-hmm. IFPA, and part of that money goes to state or provincial finals or country finals or, or national finals and some even to the world championships. Well, it's new in Europe. I don't know how they get around it because each country's got different laws. Like, they don't play for money at all. It would be the wonderful, wonderful UK Open that Neil McCray puts on September 30th. Croydon, UK, just south of London. I'll be going to that, looking forward to that. He puts up big, big money for that, so you can win some prize money. But the Europeans aren't used to it. They are now. They have to. And in talking with some, um, you'll hear it on Pinball Profile if you already haven't, they're not comfortable with it. At least some of the people aren't. I mean, it's a real mixed bag. It changes the way they play, maybe. The pressure, I don't know. I think we're just so used to it. But I remember there was that kind of controversy when it first came out here in North America, probably in Australia too. But it's uh, it, and funny. I heard people say, if the dollar went to IFPA for admin fees, I wouldn't blink an eye. The fact that it goes into a pool, I have a problem with, even if they're giving it all back. And it's a real, I, I respect the opinions and, they're not alone and other people think that too but um it's interesting that mindset yeah we've all been through it so was it a big deal in australia no not really nah you know aussies aussies don't give a fuck about anything really so and i guess because we saw it all implode in the u.s and we were lucky as observers because we saw that after it happened nobody died you know Again, that's the second time you've mentioned death. Hmm. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like we just looked at it and went, oh, okay, it, it happened, it moved on, it shuffled things around, some people came and went, but Pinball still survived. So we were like, okay, good that we got away with it for I think it was an extra two, two years until we got it. Now I think it's just one of those things. I remember reading Tilt Forums when all that came out, and I remember, I hope my memory isn't incorrect, but Wisconsin was very divided on the dollar and some people were so dead against it. Whereas now, Wisconsin is the mecca for IFPA tournaments and farms and all that kind of stuff with District 82. Uh, but there was a time when, ah, no, this dollar is ridiculous. We're going to we're gonna pull out of the IFPA. Hmm. Yeah. I know people that uh, have stepped down from the IFPA as state or country directors just saying, yeah, it's not what I want to do. And, and again, all respect to you for yeah. f- for your stance on that. But um, it is what it is. I mean, Josh really doesn't ever wiggle on anything. He just, he doesn't care. He's going to do what he wants to do. And he's got a vision. And no one's forcing you to play in the IFPA. If you want to play your pinball, fill your boots. But uh, if you want to be part of the IFPA, this is, this is what you got to do. Yep. 100,000 okay. players. Wow. That's how many people have uh, been ranked players. Jeez, that's a lot. Oh, let's just, let's have a look, shall we? Okay. Do we're doing this live, listener? Let's have a look. What's your current profile? I mean, what's my current profile? Your current ranking. Uh, I don't know. Wow. I'm now, <laughs> I'm 8,754th. 
I am fucking carrying the weight of this podcast. I'm 61st. You are bringing me down, you mother. I I have I've only got one tournament. <laughs> one tournament that counts and I came 5th and that was at Ryan's house. Are you going to play the, again? I don't know. What are you I don't know. Why are you so against it? I'm I'm not against it. I'm against you. You what? can't. Well, that's right. true. Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have time. I don't like these tournaments start too early and they finish too late. I can't disagree at all with that. Yeah. I'm busy. I'm doing 11, 12 hour days. I, by the time I've finished my day, the tournament's already started. So I've missed the cutoff for the start and they go to 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, you know, if I happen to be lucky enough to get into the finals. I'm in bed hours before then. So um, we're just not compatible at the moment. If there were some weekend tournaments, sure, there'd be more of a chance for me to do it. But yeah, people, when, when it goes to the public vote and people say, would you prefer a tournament during the week or on the weekend? Everyone always says during the week. Really? Really. Always gets voted. So weekend tournaments never happen. And if it's going to happen during the week, you don't want to go on and on and on because you probably got to work the next day. So. Well, they, yeah, and they, there's, there's one that's nearby my location uh, where I work, so probably about 15 minutes away, so that would be easy. But the others are an hour each way easy. Yeah, that's, that's if you're chasing the Whoppers, I guess, right? Correct. Um, and I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm, I'm busy and I'm working those hours because I love what I do, and that's my preference at the moment. But one day that'll change and I'll get back to doing tournaments. I'm sure of it. I'm trying to see... You know, I, in talking to Lambo, I'm trying to see which countries, obviously the United States has more players than anyone else. So ranked players, let me just have a quick, 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 quick look here. United States, there are 24,000 active players led by the new number one player, Jason Zoller. Jason Congratu- Zoller. Congratulations, Jason. That pretty impressive top four in uh, all three majors this year. Escher uh, almost made it three in a row. He was top at Indus, top at the European Pinball Championships. And uh, again, it was that uh, Marcus Vitterin who, who knocked out Escher at the World Championships. But uh, so the United States, 24,000 ranked players. I think Canada is second. 2,300 players, so a tenth. But I think Australia is actually third. 1,600. 1,630, yeah. Germany, under 1,000. France, 200 players. I didn't realize that. That doesn't surprise me um, because, I mean, we, we what we're led to believe is as a single country, I think we are the second biggest market outside of North America. As a single country. If you count Europe as one, well, they'd probably be bigger. But Australia has got a big populace that is into pinball. We always have. And I think it's been part of our culture. And, you know, I, I say that it's because we've had a very sort of beachy, surfy, sort of sun and sand type culture. Pinball machines were in every milk bar, corner shop, surf shop, everywhere. We just had pinball machines on location everywhere, not in our, not just in arcades, but everywhere you could buy food, there was always a pinball machine. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Huge, huge part of our culture. Yeah. And even New Zealand has quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Same thing. Who has more players, do you think? Sweden, by the way, is, is uh, fourth with just over a thousand players. Looks like Germany is fifth 
with 973. So, who has more players, do you think, out of New Zealand, France, and the United Kingdom? Ranked players. Ranked? Don't look. Ranked players, wait. What, sorry, what oh, were they? Fire, fuck were they? <laughs> You're totally fucking looking. You're a dick. Just give me the answer. Well, I don't know. Who, who was click, out of you? Click, click, click. Because UK, off the top of my head, I think have 503 players. You're a dick. Is that right? Yeah. Who was it else? It was Sweden? Yeah. No, not Sweden. No, it was France and New Zealand. Okay, asshole, forget it. New Zealand has uh, almost 1,000. I I honestly would have said New Zealand because- Oh, sorry. 489. 489. 489. I stand corrected. So they are just behind the UK- but also, like, New Zealand is a small country as far as population goes compared to the rest of the world. So the fact that they've got nearly 500 players is fantastic. They've got an incredibly good pinball culture in New Zealand. And it's it's led by a few people, obviously. Oh, the Pecks. Yeah, Dave, David Peck and, and the multiple locations that he's got. But I know that there's a few people over there that have big events. So they are cultivating that community over there. I met from New Zealand... Tyler Dipper, he's the guy who knocked off Travis Murray in the first round. Sorry, Travis. Young guy doing school in Germany, got to represent New Zealand, and that guy made the playoffs. He made the top 32 out of 80 players. 80 of the best players in the world. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Made the playoffs, won the first round, so good for Tyler. So, yeah, New Zealand's got... The reason I bring up New Zealand and Australia is, you know, talking to Lambo, Jason... We were playing right now in Germany. Next year, the World Championships are going to be in California, Jim Belsito's place. It then goes in two years, I believe, to Austria. That'll be fun with RS Mm. Pinball doing all the kinds of good things there. Goes back to North America to be determined where that will be. And then it goes back to, quote unquote, Europe or other parts of the world. Canada is part of the North American. And Lambo wants to know how did we make this happen for australia yeah do you think australia i fuck that'd be great it would be awesome it's just costly for a lot of people or new zealand same but just cost money it's it's double the airfare is effectively what it is yeah but if i don't know if that maybe that is a factor for the ipa but i i think having the facility having the number of games um, Freddy's Pinball Paradise had, I think, 170 games. You have to have old games. You have to have EMs, and you have to have uh, solid states and early solid states. And, you know, I know David Peck's got those. Yeah. I don't know about the EMs, but boy. Yeah, be- I think be- between three people in New Zealand, you would have all of those machines that you need. Make it happen, Pex. That'd be fun. Yeah, I, I, I don't think... The facilities and, you know, being able to make a, a venue happen with all the machines here is the issue. I think it's everybody, like everybody. Because if you think about who actually makes the finals, Australia gets two, so and New Zealand gets two. So there's four people that don't have to travel far. Everybody else has to travel a long distance to get here. Oh, well. If it's in Europe, 50% of people have to travel. You know what I mean? If Australia can be part of Eurovision, they can be part of the World Championships. <laughs> well, we are. We just, yeah. I mean, that's what people have, people have speculated. What happens if Australia wins Eurovision? Do we host it in Australia? Ooh. So it's the same thing. It's just, it's the tyranny of distance. 
I know when we talk about locations, there was one that kind of popped up uh, on your horizon, so to speak. The uh, Pastimes from Rob Burke in Ohio. I haven't been there yet. I plan on going. Well, what I can tell you, it's going to be take you approximately three hours and 57 minutes to get there. From my house? Yep. Yeah, but when I go to Cleveland for Cleepin in September, maybe I can stop by there. That's right. So it's just, I can see Cleveland versus this place. Very, very close. What shits me, the reason why I brought that up, what fucking shits me, right, is, so Rob Burke's got apparently 1,100 pinball machines in his wow. collection. So this, this, lo- but no, this location's got 300 pinball machines and 150 uh, arcades. Is that, okay, random place. Where is it going to open up? Oh, could go anywhere. Oh, let's open up four hours from Jeff's place. And, you know, 21 hours flight from my place. Thanks for Rob Burke. He lives in Ohio. What do you want him to do? And he's got to haul some of those games as he does every year to Chicago. I just think it's bullshit that I just can't get to go to these places so easily like you. Like, like it's not even, you don't even have to get on a fucking plane. You can drive to this place. That's what's shit. You know what I might right now? (laughs) You're just like, you know what? If I leave, I could get get there, do a round trip in the day. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how shitty this is, that this fucking fantastic place has opened up and you can just drive there. I just, I'm, I'm very annoyed by that. Have you thought about some of the places? I was kind of making a list of places I want to see that I have yet to, you know, the Pacific Pinball Museum. That looks pretty cool. I guess there's one in Florida I want to check out. The one in New Jersey I want to check out. Rob Burke's place. Wizard's World in Indiana. Uh, the Dutch Pinball Museum. I think, is that in Rotterdam? I was I went to Amsterdam for a day, but I looked at when the museum was open. It wasn't open the day I was there. Or I would have made the trip. There's a place in Spain I really want to see, too, that... Uh, Remember the video that was done during Expo that they showed when they did the virtual ones? That looked pretty awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's there's so many great. Are there any places I'm missing that or that you know of that Ryan C went to that one in Japan? He said that one was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my friends James and Jackie, they you know the Silver Ball Planet. They just came back from okay. that as well. Said it's amazing. Yep, fantastic. So that's closer just, to yeah, you than me. It is. It's still thousands of dollars. <laughs> so, just trying to make you feel good yeah it, nothing you can do the the damage is done yeah all right well let's kill some uh no i'm not gonna we're, <laughs> okay let's have a little fun thing here to end this fine fine podcast and i'm pretty impressed we filled a non-news day with some fluffy shit here i'm, I'm pretty impressed <laughs> i'm gonna give you looking at Pinside. they do the top 100 list and all that kind of stuff. And for a while, Foo Fighters was up there. You knew it wouldn't last. It happens with every new game. It always goes to number one, and then it kind of, the dust settles. Still at number three right now, currently. So, pretty good. I've taken the top 10, and I've put them into two banks based on, you know, alternating and all kind of good stuff. You get to have these five games. Which bank do you want for your home collection, and why Marty Robbins? Mm-hmm. I'm going to start off with a tough one. This one's going to make you hurt a little bit. Godzilla. Mm-hmm. I've heard mm-hmm. you vent about that. Godzilla. Jurassic Park. Iron Maiden. You got three Elwins games. The others are Attack from Mars and Elvira House of Horrors. That's your one bank. Okay. Or do you take Foo Fighters? Medieval Madness. Deadpool, your beloved Star Trek, and Monster Bash. 
Mm. Tough decision. Can I just ask a quick question? Yes. Um, how were these banks curated? They're all in the top 10. Okay. I went back and forth. Okay. Basically, bank one is number one, four, five, eight, and nine. Whereas the other one is, okay. you know, two, three, six, seven, ten. I just didn't realize, I honestly didn't realize that Star Trek was top ten. It is. Yeah. I believe it's probably Steve Ritchie's best stern layout. Yeah, for sure. It ain't Zeppelin. All right. So what have I got? I've got Godzilla. Godzilla Jurassic Park Maiden plus Attack from Mars Elvira House of Horrors. Mm -hmm. That's your one bank. Or Medieval Madness, Foo Fighters, Deadpool, Star Trek, Monster Bash. Okay. So what is this bank for? If I'm going to be in a tournament or just what I would have at home? One or the other. Someone says, you can take these five machines for home or you can take these other five machines for home. What are you going to pick? Sophie's First of all, for your home collection, these are your only five games. What's going to give you the most amount of fun? Okay. Godzilla, Jurassic Park, Iron Maiden, Elvira, and Monster Bash. Not Monster Bash, Attack from Mars. Attack from Mars. Um, it's those. Really? Easy. Yep. Do you want to know why? Yes. Okay. Because... Godzilla, as much as I I played it last weekend, just one game and went, yep, it's fine. I still think that if I had more time on that and I could get into its richness, I would enjoy it a lot more. So I still, still think it's got something to give. Hmm. Jurassic Park. You've owned it. I regret selling it. I had to sell it at the time. I needed the money. I, I, I want to play it some more. Attack from Mars. I always want to play it. Always. I, I've never gotten sick of that game. And I, I'm pretty down on DMD games from that era. Attack from Mars is one of the exceptions. I absolutely love that game. Again, Iron Maiden, I've still got unfinished business with it. I just still, it, it was the music that really got to me. But I think if I could either turn the music down or change the music, I would still love that. And you know I'm a, a huge fan of Elvira House of Horrors. I just think it is just a joy to flip. And I know it's easier than most games. And I think that's appeal. I mean, if I've got three Elwins, which aren't easy games, give me an easy game in the mix. There you go. There's my five. I don't know which one I would pick. I mean, they're great games. Godzilla is spectacular. Jurassic Park, I, I don't know what it is about Jurassic Park. It's, it's most people's favorite game as far as like, a perfect game for rules and stuff. You've owned it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. R- r- and yes, rules-wise, it is, I think, one of the, the best rules in recent times because you don't have to play the game the same way each time. And that's what I found a lot with a, 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 a lot of these games. Once you play them enough, it becomes Groundhog Day. You're doing the same path each time. Jurassic Park is the epitome of it never being the same game when you hit the start button again. Hmm. I, I got to be careful in case Greg Bones listening to this. You know what bothers me with Jurassic Park? What's that? The theme. It's such a fun game. I can't stand the theme. Oh, I love the theme. One of my favorite movies of all time. I remember it was when I thought, come on, Spielberg, you can do better. You are the greatest, perhaps, director not named Coppola or Scorsese or Hitchcock or all the legends. But like that is the epitome of a popcorn movie where, you know, Sam Neill's fumbling for... Wow. 
Are you? I've seen it once. I never need to see that movie ever again. Are you life. not joking? Dead? Are you dead inside? No, it just. Do you have a cold, black, unbeating heart. Do I hate CGI? Hmm, maybe that's the factor. It was for the first time ever. Something looked actually real. Yeah, it did look pretty good. Yeah, it was. Didn't sound real. There's no proof that dinosaurs could roar or speak. No, that that actually probably is true. Though they've yeah probably rebuilt their larynxes from mm. their bones, possibly. Um, no, fine. It's it's fine. If you've only watched that movie once and you didn't like it, then there's no point having a conversation about it. There's nothing that will could ever turn you around on that. It is one of the best movies of all time. It's one of the movies that I've seen the most. Really? And yeah, oh, I love it. Love, love, love it. Love it. I think I've seen all but maybe the third one. I, like even the new ones, which, because I want to, I'm like, I'm missing something. What am I missing? And I'm just like, eh. You're missing a heart. You're missing <laughs> emotions. You're missing so much in your life. But, you know, again, it's like you trying to tell me how amazing Godfather is. I don't care. Don't you I'm, fucking like, dare. It's even worse. Don't you fucking dare. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do, do anything. But I'm, what I'm saying is, if, if you're like, you're there going, don't you dare. Whereas I'm saying, you know what? That's okay that you don't like Jurassic Park, even though it is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. So it's top five. Yeah. I've seen them all. I want to like them. I'm like, eh, it's fine. It, uh, it just, yeah. I, it just does. Yeah. So I guess that's why the game, like I could care less. Whereas yeah, and that's, Godzilla, and that's fair enough. it makes me laugh. It's funny. The rules of Jurassic Park are so fucking good as a yep. pinball machine. You're right about all those games, right? There's not one way to play it. Avengers can be a little grindy. That's not in this list of five I gave you. So that's a good list. You, you've got five games. You've got Godzilla. you got Jurassic Park. you get a v- Attack from Mars, which is spectacular. Maiden and Elvira, House of Horrors. You didn't choose Foo Fighters. Jury's still out, but my God, is that a fun game? And just it's, it's great. crazy layout. It really is. It really is great. Medieval Madness? No, not one of my favorites. Don't like it. Boring. The only thing I don't like about it is the trolls. Like everything else. I don't it. mind the trolls. I just, it's one of those games that I played so much that I got sick of it. And now I just find it a bit blur. Deadpool, I love. So hold on a second. Medieval Madness. You love playing Attack from Mars, but not yes. Medieval Madness. Yep. And they're, not they're the same almost game. the same game. No, they're not. Pretty nope. close. I mean, nope. the difference Nothing. is Martian nope. Nope. attack. What's the difference? Nope. Well, you could say Elvira House of Horrors is exactly the same game because the shots are all in the same location. Medieval and Attack from Mars are pretty fucking close. No, they don't play the same at all. And do you know what? Well, okay. I never even looked at them side by side and realized that they had a very similar layout until maybe five years ago when someone pointed it out. I never thought there was anything remotely similar about those two games. It's interesting because on Medieval Madness, I'm less afraid to go for the castle, whereas Attack from Mars, I'm scared oh, to yeah. go for the saucer. Oh, yeah, for and sure. And you got to bring the visor down. That's that's difficult too, but... It's because the center shot in Attack from Mars rebounds a lot quicker. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's reflexes, yeah. But but also again depends on the medieval madness. Some medieval madnesses, a a shot to the castle is a center drain every time. So you said no to Star Trek. You know we both admit that's probably Steve Ritchie's best layout. You didn't you didn't want that. I would take that over 
definitely Elvira's my least favorite on that one. But uh, Monster Bash, that's a no. I'm, that's the easy. That's the easy game to compare for the Elvira one. You know, you and, and sure. a lot more cool stuff in there. Uh, look, I think the theme that was happening when you were asking me about these games was: Do I feel like I've got unfinished business with them? Mm. I have completed Monster Bash many times. I I don't. It's fine. Star Trek. I'm done. Like I, I've got no more I can get out of it. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's what I'm saying. Deadpool, I would love to play it again, but uh, I'm not compelled to. Uh, Foo Fighters. Oh, new. let me tell you about Deadpool. Remember, I was telling you the IFPA, they are probably removing earplugs. That's, that's the thing of the past. You know what yep. else is the thing of the past too on Deadpool? And I'm going to do this too on tournaments. So when they're playing Deadpool in IFPA tournaments, they disable the... Snicked to stop double scoring. Yeah, just double, triple. You know, you can get five X on that thing. They stop it. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, I'm coming. They sure, disable. If they, like they want to take fun away from Al, let's do it. Go for it. Just fine. <laughs> I like it. Okay, fine. I guess has it become that in a tournament, that's all the people do is just trap up and go for the sneak shot. Perhaps. Is that, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And if yeah, if that's the case, then yeah, change it. But otherwise, it's not the easiest shot, but maybe for the top tournament players, it is an easy shot. Uh, I think it's probably uh, an easy shot for many people in that high caliber tournament, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Cool. Marty, mm. we made something out of nothing. <sighs> Story of our lives. This bundle of sweet fuck all. We put it all together <laughs> and we made an episode out of this. Well, we did actually have some good things to talk about, Jeff. Don't be like that. Well, we wasted a lot of time on Jurassic Park being a good movie. Other than that, it was a <laughs> decent show. But, uh, if people want to reach us and maybe vent, do we even have emails? I don't think we did. Did we? We I can't remember. No. Uh, but you can email us at finalroundpinball at gmail.com. Please do. No, they Final don't. Pinball podcast is at Instagram and at finalroundpin on Twitter. So there you go. Communicate with us, people. No, you know what? Maybe this is a sign. Maybe we just pack it in. Nobody gives a fucking shit. Yeah, that's right. If we get no emails, if we get no emails, we're not doing another podcast. There you go. Set it. Hmm. What if we just get one? Uh, oh, you, oh, by the way, I know we'll get one because... There's a couple of people that always do that when we ever put those threats out, but you think we're joking. We're not. <laughs> Ed from Denmark. Ed from Denmark. <laughs> for sure. So I, you know how we were at TPF and we had those uh, pictures of you and I with the final yes. logo. We, we signed a few of those. I gave him one and I said to Ed, the biggest cunt in Denmark, maybe the world. <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. <laughs> What a treasure. Uh, oh. And there's going to be one lucky person in the world that's got a very <laughs> special signed one as well. I'm keeping that one. I, Marty. <laughs> so I, because Marty and I are never together, we signed a bunch of extras for some, we have, believe it or not, I know it's shocking. We have a few fans. And so you gave me all the signed ones. I signed mine. I'm, I'm signing them. I'm like, did you just sign this cunt? <laughs> <laughs> You're oh. like, yeah. Like, it was... It was one of the highlights of TPF was the fact that I had signed it. Damien had seen that I signed it. We just stood by, watched you signing all the cards, just looking at each other, giggling like little schoolgirls waiting for you to notice. And when I you did, oh my God. Payoff. Highlight good. of TPF. It was the best. Speaking of the C-bomb, 
Mm. Jason Sudeikis, big yes. pinhead, Ted Lasso, did a podcast with Dana Carvey and uh, David Spade, and they talked. he talked about pinball and stuff. But he was talking about Ted Lasso. And because we dropped the C-bomb, because it's not as offensive where we are in Canada or Australia, and we do understand that. It is to some other people. It's just a fucking word, man. It's just a word. We don't mean anything by it. In fact, when we use it, we do it in a loving way. We don't say it viciously. But he was talking about, on Ted Lasso, the bar owner at the in the Richmond area that is a big supporter of the football team, she had a line in there where she was like, ah, you stupid cunt. And Apple or whoever said we have to remove that we're just not ready north america's just not ready for the sea no not yet whereas in england whereas in australia here around canada we're like that's eh, nothing yeah it's a term of endearment give us a it few genuinely years is. it'll be part of the vocabulary in children's school programs for, <laughs> god willing <laughs> it's just a word it is a word, yeah, anyway. All right. There you go. Later, Kyle. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye.